Alan Like. I am the other flavor of Alan this evening. Chaplain Like is gone doing something wonderful, and it's my privilege to welcome you to uh, chapel here this evening. Why don't we pray together? You've been in class, you've done all these wonderful things. Why don't we ask the Lord to bless us in these moments, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to be yours. Thank you for these men and women who come into this place hoping to encounter you in a special, life-changing way. God, we ask that you would grant each of our requests by meeting us here, touching our hearts, changing, impacting our lives with your grace, with your love, for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you are who you say you are. And you always do what you promise you will do. Thank you that uh, you have heard our prayer already to meet with us in this place, tenderly, sweetly, and in your way. Thank you, Father, for what you are doing and for what you want to continue to do among us as your people. We worship you together. We give you uh, all that we are, our personal and uh, corporate agendas, and we ask you, Father, to speak to us through your Spirit, through your Word, in any way that you desire. And help us, Lord, to honestly and completely say to you, yes, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles with me if you would like. Turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm having all kinds of thoughts right now, but this one dominates. So I'm going to stick with it. <clears throat> well, no, it doesn't dominate, but it's secondary and it's close enough. <laughs> Let me try to get there by telling you a story. When I was a kid, I used to love it whenever my mom would cook fried chicken. I heard that. Can I get a witness? Anybody here love fried chicken? Oh, mercy. My stomach's starting to make me feel like my throat's been cut. I love my mother's fried chicken. I can smell it. It makes my stomach growl right now. You know, when she would cook it, the smell would just fill the house. And if the windows were open, that scent would just kind of pervade the neighborhood. And it would just draw you toward that house. I mean, there isn't anybody on the planet who can cook fried chicken like my mother can cook fried chicken. Well, except, of course, my wife. <laughs> when 
when we were children, we were small. I can remember my mother would always go and she would do the inexpensive thing. She would buy the whole chicken, right? And she'd cut it up and she taught me how. In fact, I might even remember how to cut up a fried chicken, a not quite yet fried chicken, all by myself. But she'd cut that thing up and she would begin to prepare it. And, and one whole chicken for my brother, my sister, and me when we were young and my dad and my mom and me. Yes, Lord. The technology is with us. You know, I used to get really concerned when the technology messed up. Now I get excited when the technology messes up because I assume if the enemy is working that hard against what we're doing together, who knows what God might want to say among us. But I, I remember when Mama would cook that, we, we all had our thing. And, and one chicken, when we were little, one chicken was enough. It, there wasn't any extra, but it was just enough for us as a family. My little sister was little. She'd take a wing, sometimes two. My mother would usually eat the breast, and my brother and I loved the dark meat. Anybody here like dark meat? We would argue over the legs and the thighs. Usually, especially as we grew, we'd each get a leg and a thigh, and we'd argue about it. You know the thing kids do? Oh, wait a minute. That one's bigger. I want that one. And we'd argue back and forth, and we would settle on that. My dad would sit there, and he'd eat the liver, and he'd eat the gizzard, and he'd eat the heart. He'd sometimes eat the neck and he'd eat the back and any stuff that was left over. <laughs> For years, I thought that my dad did that because those were the pieces of the chicken that he really liked. Later, I found out that my dad's favorite piece of chicken is really the thigh, just like me. I can remember asking him, Daddy, why, for all those years, when your very favorite piece of chicken is the thigh, why didn't, you, why didn't you make a share? Why would you every time sacrifice what it was that, that you really liked for us? And he just looked at me and he smiled and he said, but you just don't understand, Alan. I, it was okay. It was for you guys. And, and I love you. And, and so it wasn't a sacrifice. Sacrifice, one man said, is when I stretch myself. And I give my time, I give my talents, I give my resources, I give of myself beyond what is comfortable for me to give. Let me try that again. Sacrifice is when I stretch myself, time, talents, resources, me, beyond what is comfortable for me to give. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says to us that sacrificing for God always makes a difference. Now, I honor the sacrifices that parents like my dad make for their children. I honor, especially in this city, the sacrifices that many of our countrymen and women make for our nation and the family sacrifices that they make. I honor the sacrifices that many people who believe passionately about so many things in our world, the sacrifices that they are willing to make for the things in which they believe. But I'm here to talk to you tonight about something that I believe is essential for us to understand, and that is this, the most important sacrifices that you will ever make are the sacrifices that you make for the kingdom of God. Amen. The most important sacrifices that you will ever make are the sacrifices that you are willing to make for the kingdom of God. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you will, beginning at verse 1, where it says this, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. 
We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you, not from anyone else. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us to understand this evening that the sacrifices that we make for God always matter. They always make a difference. Now the enemy of our souls will come up beside us. And maybe he's coming up beside some of us even here this evening. Certainly with some of our brothers and sisters across the campus this semester. And he will start to whisper some of his lies in our ears. And he will begin to suggest to you, what you're doing doesn't matter. What you're doing, the sacrifices you are making, the things that you are enduring and causing those that you love to endure, give up. It doesn't matter. What in the world do you think you are doing, suffering and sacrificing the way that you are to just be at Bible college? What is that all about? Give it up. It doesn't matter. It won't make any difference at all. Hear the Word of God saying to you and to me tonight the answer to the question that at some point all of us who spend enormous amounts of time working full-time jobs and then coming here and going to school full-time and then going and studying your heads off and then trying to be good spouses and then trying to be decent parents and then trying to be good churchmen and women and then and then and then and the enemy will come to you and he will say what are you doing and at some point all of us are asking what am I doing is what I'm doing? Does it really matter? Does it matter? Is it worth it? Will my sacrifices make a difference? When God was testing Job, God allowed Satan to make Job absolutely miserable. Are you with me? I mean, God allowed Satan to take away all of his possessions, to kill all of his children, to take his health and well-being completely away. And then if you listen carefully or look carefully at the scripture, you'll notice that he sends an angel of darkness, the enemy does, to whisper into Job's friend's ear and they gather around him and they begin themselves to be emissaries of discomfort. As they begin to say to him, Job, you know, you thought you had it all right. But Job, really, you just need to give it up. I mean, all these things that you thought that you were doing for God, all this grandiose ideas that you had, all this sacrifice that you thought was so valuable and so meaningful, his wife said, just curse God and die. Give it up, Job. Your sacrifice doesn't matter. But Job said, 
I know, I know that God is still God and that somehow my sacrifices for God are still making a difference. When Jesus was in the desert fasting and praying and preparing himself for his earthly ministry, the scripture says that he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And then my favorite verse in that text, it's not the most important, but it's my favorite. It says, uh, he was hungry. I love that for biblical understatement. 40 days, no food, no drink. He was hungry. And at that great point of Jesus' vulnerability, when he was weakened, and exhausted, the enemy came. And what did he say? Jesus, look at you. Already, you haven't even started your ministry, and already you're sacrificing and you're suffering, but where are you, Jesus? You're out here and you're in the desert and you are alone. And guess what, Jesus? You can see the road ahead of you even more clearly than I can, and that road is long and hard and arduous, and those people that you love and those people that you're doing this for, they don't care. They're going to turn their backs on you. They're going to ridicule you, mock you. They're going to kill you. They're not going to turn from their sin. What you're doing doesn't matter. Give up quit. There's an easier way, Jesus. You don't have to do all this hard stuff. Your sacrifice doesn't matter. But Jesus said, Satan, get away from me. I know that the sacrifices and sufferings are necessary to fulfill God's purpose and plan for me and for his kingdom on earth through me in the world. And I know that even when it doesn't look like it, my suffering is making a difference. In our passage here tonight from Thessalonians, Paul was writing to Christians in the city of Thessalonica. Acts 17 tells us the story. It tells us that when Paul went to Thessalonica, he was only able to stay there for three weeks before he was run out of town. Three weeks. It's been longer than that since Christmas. The Apostle Paul wanted to be able to stay in this city. He had just won some people to Jesus. He wanted to be able to stay and teach and preach and disciple these people toward maturity in Christ. He had people run him out of town instead. And the people who ran him out of town were counting on these new Christians to give up on Jesus, but not Paul. Paul said, no, they're going to stick. They're going to stick. He said, and he sealed his faith with his personal sacrifice. He left his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, behind him there in the city of Thessalonica to disciple and to continue the work. He went on alone. You don't travel alone at that time period in that place, but he went on alone because he wanted to make sure by doing everything in his power to see that his sacrifice for God would make a difference. And when he was writing this letter to us a few months later, to them, which we're reading, a few months later, he said, I have measurable proof that my sacrifice has indeed made a difference. Look at verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Paul was writing his letter to the measurable proof that his sacrifice in that place was not a failure. In Corinthians, he says, you are our letters. Here he says, you are our proof. The church there was the proof that Paul and Silas and Timothy's sacrifice. And they sacrificed everything to serve God as self-supporting missionaries. 
that their sacrifice was worth it. In the last church that I, Jan and I pastored in Monroe, Michigan, God called us to start a new church in an adjacent town. We didn't have the money, even remotely, to be able to try to begin to start a new church. We were in a multi-million dollar relocation project in that church. We couldn't spare any money. Everybody in church who would give was already giving sacrificially beyond anything we could have ever imagined that we would have given before. We couldn't spare people. We couldn't spare any time. But God said, I want for you to do this for me. And so we gave time that we didn't have to do evangelistic things in that community and other things that are a part of starting a new church. We gave money that we didn't have. And we gave people that we loved and we missed having as a part of our regular church family. But that sacrifice was worth it. Today, there is measurable proof that that sacrifice was worth it. There is a church in Dundee, Michigan today that is reaching out to that community and ministering to the needs and the lives of people that are there. And Jim and Sherry Stevens are here today as students as Nazarene Bible College preparing themselves for ministry. They are the first converts out of that church in Dundee, Michigan. And I want to tell you that sacrifice was worth it. There is measurable proof that it made a difference. But Paul said even when there's not measurable proof. Our sacrifices for God always make a difference. Look at that word there at the end of verse, of verse 1. That word failure. That word failure can mean two different things. Typically it means no measurable proof, which is what, how it's most often translated. No measurable proof. Paul said it wasn't a failure. There was measurable proof. But it can also mean empty or devoid of meaning. Paul said his sacrifice had meaning. It made a difference because he did the right thing. Paul said even if he couldn't have seen the results from his sacrifice, he knew that it had made a difference. Sometimes when I sacrifice to achieve God's goals, sometimes we see huge measurable results and we want to see measurable results. We count people because people count. We want to see those results. But sometimes, very often, ministers of the gospel, that ministry for the kingdom, it, it, it's not something you can measure and quantify easily. There are many of those intangibles that we recognize that are accomplished by the sacrifices that we make for the kingdom. But Paul said, even if it's those intangibles, the results are there. When you sacrifice for the God, the results are there, whether you see them or whether you don't. We want to see those measurable results. We want to believe in those intangible results. But Paul takes it a step further, and he says, remember that as important as those results are, those measurable or those intangible results are, our real goal in sacrificing for the kingdom of God is to please God. Amen. Verse 4, we're not trying to please people. We're trying to please God. We're not trying to do anything ultimately except to please God. We sacrifice and it matters. In order to please, in Luke 21, Jesus saw a poor widow giving 
what was for her an extremely sacrificial gift. Now my tendency, and maybe yours as well, as Pastor Allen, if I saw somebody like this lady over there coming and giving her last two cents, my tendency would be to go over there to her and say, God bless you, ma'am. You, you keep that. You need that more than the church needs that. In fact, why don't we get one of the elders to come and take you to the clothing pantry and the food pantry and we'll give you some cash to help you with your utility bills because your need is so much greater than, than the church's need need for the gift that you're going to give. That's what I would do. But it's not what Jesus did. Jesus instead looked at her and said her sacrifice was making a difference for the kingdom of God. I'm like, come on Jesus, two mites, two lepta, less than two pennies? What kind of a difference? I was a pastor. How much money is that? What kind of a difference is that really going to make for the kingdom? But Jesus said she was going to receive a greater reward than anybody else who gave a gift that day. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance, but she gave everything she had. And that heart of sacrifice, Jesus said, is pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God. We want to see those measurable results. We want to experience and believe in those intangible results. But more than anything, we sacrifice and we believe that it matters because we believe that the goal of our sacrifice is to please God. But, you know what, Christians? Let's just face it. Just because we're serving God, just because what we're doing is pleasing God, it doesn't mean there won't be any problems. Sacrifice means sacrifice. Paul said, well, look what he said in verse 2. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. Now, you've got to go back to the book of Acts to get the story. It says that right before Paul went to Thessalonica, Acts 16 says he went to Philippi. He was preaching and teaching and winning people to Jesus, and they were there for a while, and they had a great ministry, and the enemy couldn't stand it. And so he stirred up the mob against Paul. And they took Paul and Silas, and they stripped them, and they beat them senseless, and they put them in chains in the center of the jail. Now, for the record... Even the Apostle Paul considered this to be a setback to his ministry, which I find encouraging. Sometimes he looks like Superman to me. Nothing can stop him. Man of steel. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are, he just keeps on going. Even Paul said this was a setback for him. He acknowledged that it was a sacrifice, but Paul did not allow this sacrifice to overshadow the accomplishment of their visit. When Paul and Silas were getting beaten and put in jail, Paul was getting to know the jailer, and when God gave them the opportunity, there they were ready to lead the jailer and his family to Christ, even though they were going through difficult circumstances, even though they were going through unbelievably difficult circumstances. They didn't allow it to discourage them. Of course it was difficult. Of course it hurt. Of course they suffered and they acknowledged their suffering. They weren't detached from their circumstances. They weren't emotionally out there somewhere. They knew that their sacrifice was for God. And they knew that their sacrifice was making a difference. 
Serving God doesn't make us immune to problems. Paul says not only will you experience difficult circumstances, but he said the very people that you're counting on to encourage you will tell you that you are crazy. How many of you have heard something like this? I can't believe you did that. How could you leave a good job and a church that loves you and a place where you're serving God effectively? How could you pick up your family and drag them halfway across the world to this place where you're just going to go to school and cause everybody to suffer and have a difficult time? <sighs> My, that's encouraging. Good job, Alan. Keep preaching. I have the gift of encouragement. <laughs> Paul said people will challenge your motives when you sacrifice to serve God. But he said this, no, we are not serving out of error. We're not mistaken. We are not serving out of impure motives. We are sacrificing because we have discovered the truth and we want to please Him. There is no better reason to serve God than because you love Him and you want to please Him. Listen to me, I have fallen in love with Jesus and I cannot stop trying to please Jesus. I want to help Him build His kingdom however He chooses for me to help Him build His kingdom. I know that I don't have to earn his love. I know that there is no way that I could ever possibly earn his forgiveness. But I want more than anything to hear at the end of my days, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to please God. But sacrifice still means sacrifice. Pain still hurts. And when the enemy says, oh, it doesn't matter, just give up, quit, don't follow through. Sometimes we all start to wonder, God, does it really matter? When Jan and I had just, we got married and started co-pastoring together at the same time. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's worked for us eventually. <laughs> After we had been married and co-pastoring together for about 18 months, Jan got pregnant. I don't know how, don't tell me, I don't want to know. <clears throat> but we were so excited. We were so excited. Our very first child, it was so wonderful. We told everybody who would listen to us that we were going to have a baby. It was so wonderful. And then the unspeakable happened, and Jan miscarried. And our hearts were broken. And I really just thought I wanted to die. And I remember so clearly the morning that she came home from the doctor after she had been and had received confirmation and the doctor had done doctorly things and she came home. And she went in and she lay down across the bed and I went back and laid down beside her and we just cried and grieved together. And we'd been there about an hour. And then the phone rang. And it was Annette. And she was calling from the hospital and her father had just passed away. And Alan, will you come? And Jan hung up the phone and looked at me and I said, no, I'm not going to go. I am not going to go. God doesn't care about us. Here we have sacrificed and spent eight plus years in college and seminary and God sent us out here into this horrible little town in this place where the sun never shines and it's cold and the people don't like us and we live in these terrible little apartments and now after all of this stuff, a million miles from everybody who cares about us and God lets our baby die. God doesn't care about us. I'm not going to go. And Jan said, Alan, you have to go. So I went. 
And as frightened as I am of Jan, that's not the reason why I went. <laughs> you see, Annette was brand new baby Christian, three weeks old in Christ. And I had had the privilege of leading Annette and her husband into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we met her through some friends of Annette's husbands that Jan and I had the privilege of leading to Christ. And every week I was meeting with them and doing a little Bible study with them for the last few weeks together. I remember when I got to the hospital and I stepped off that elevator onto the third floor of Wood County Hospital. The first person I saw was Kathy. Kathy's Annette's older sister. Kathy's a big woman. I mean, she's about this tall, literally, and she's just big lady. The whole family was big. It's like being around trees. And she was just big. And she just stepped up and she said, Oh, Alan. I'd only met her one time socially and that just very briefly. And she said, oh, Alan, I'm so sorry. We just heard about your baby. And she just engulfed me in a bear hug. And we stood there and we wept together. And her family gathered around and we all wept together. And over the next few days, as I conducted that funeral and spent time with that family and weeks, and over the next few weeks as we ministered with them, Annette and eventually her very heathen husband, and her mother, and her other sister, and her brother, all came to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they are, all got involved in that church. And Chuck has been, Kathy's husband, has been in ministry for many years now. And I want to say to you, Yes, it hurts. Yes, you ask the question, does our sacrifice really matter? But I have to say to you, future ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God says that your sacrifices have not gone unnoticed. They will have an eternal impact in the lives of the hundreds and thousands of people whose lives you will touch and affect for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, the enemy will say, is it worth it? But God's word and his spirit tonight say to us, yes, your sacrifices for God always make a difference. Bless his name. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of living and loving and serving you. Thank you for these men and women who have been called by your name, who have responded in faith, who have overcome tremendous obstacles and live every day sacrifices which I can't even begin to comprehend. I pray, holy God, strong to save, mighty to deliver, that you would pour out your Spirit on each one in this room here tonight with grace and strength and renewed confidence and hope in the God whom we serve. We do it because we love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Maybe, just maybe, some of the rest of you 
would like to find a place where you could say, thank you, Lord. Maybe you need a place to say, God, it's been hard, but I still believe. If you'd like, you're welcome. The altars are here. If not, God bless you. Go in His peace.